you prepare to get into the word this morning, we're going to just read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. It says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God. And I also trust are well known in your consciences. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. This morning's passage, trying to sum it up in a title is absent from the body, present with the Lord, and the implications of this belief. Charles Hodge wrote over a hundred years ago that few passages in Paul's writings have awakened a deeper or more general interest because it treats of the state of the soul after death, a subject about which every man feels the liveliest concern not only for himself, but in behalf of those dear to him. Where are those who sleep in Jesus before the resurrection? What is the condition of a redeemed soul when it leaves the body? These are questions about which no Christian can be indifferent. If Paul here answers those inquiries, the passage must have a peculiar value to all the people of God. And so, as we get into this chapter, we do see that a bit of some explanation from Paul of what we can hope in, what happens to us after death. We have no body, the resurrection hasn't taken place yet. Uh, What's up with that, essentially? Um, Now, the chapter break here isn't very helpful. Um, You can actually go back to verses 16 and 18 of the previous chapter, probably on the same page you're on there, where it says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so Paul, just leading into where we're at today from last week, is encouraging us as Christians to look beyond what is temporary and to look what is to what is eternal. And that's actually been a theme and a thread through chapter 3. Part of the new covenant in Christ Jesus is that we have an eternal hope, a hope that does not fade away, but has a glory that is not passing away. So that being said, looking to the eternity, looking beyond this temporal fleeting life, we have first of all in our chapter the assurance of the resurrection. And he starts out, uh, I believe there's, um, uh, I don't know what numbers correspond to what in the alphabet, so seven things uh, there. Uh, that he tells us we are as Christians. Did you hear that? A, B, C, D, F, G, O. Whatever. You'll get it. Uh, 
And he starts out by saying, we know, we know, we have assurance that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We know that. And I remember when my father passed away, I was 19 years old, and at the funeral, one of my friends came up to me, Ben Zedwick, and he just spoke into my life, uh, Romans chapter 8, that we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And I remember him looking at me, you know, this is probably a 20-year-old speaking to a 19-year-old and saying, Rory, it doesn't say we see it. It says we know it. And that just meant a lot to me. He says, the word says it. That settles it. <laughs> Believe it. We know it. And so today is another we know it statement. We know that if this body, this earthly house, this tent is destroyed, there is another one waiting for us. There's another home uh, waiting for us. Now, other religions believe in the immortality of the soul. We don't have anything special in that as Christians. Hinduism sees the body as an enslavement and an entrapment of the soul. And between Buddhism and Hinduism, they both seek out nirvana, where they will be freed from this. In the Buddhist case, they just want to be snuffed out. And in the Hindu case, they just want to live in a blissful experience that will finally be uh, theirs. Uh, the Greek philosophers thought that the bodiless spirit was the highest level of existence. They thought that the body was a prison for the soul, and they saw no advantage to having a resurrected body. And so when Paul would preach to them in Acts 17, there at Mars Hill in Athens, and he would preach something that nearly all the Greeks were following, and I get you, I get you, I get you, but then he preached the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And that Jesus was just the first one of us who believed would be resurrected from the dead. And it was at that word that this entire Greek philosophy uh, you know, arena mocked him and ridiculed him. And there were a few, though, there were a few that when they heard from the resurrection of the dead, they believed. And there were a few that said, I want to hear more about this. You guys, the resurrection of the dead, Jesus being the first one and the first fruits of all of us who are in Christ will be resurrected from the dead as well. The resurrection is something that is peculiarly special to Christians and to Christianity. And we have this hope, and even more than a hope, we have this knowledge that we have, that, that God has rather, a plan for us after we die. He has a plan for our spirit, and he has a plan for our body. It's been said that the believer's view of death and eternity ought to be a way our faith is viewed as genuine. You might just look over your life and, and the way you consider your death, uh, the way you consider the death of your loved ones, those that are in Christ and those that are outside of Christ, what is your reaction? What is your heart? What is your hope? What is your fear? And does it reflect that of a biblical Christian? Richard Baxter said in the 1800s in England that it is the responsibility of the Christian pastor to prepare his people for death. Until he has prepared them to die, he has not prepared them to live. And I hope by the Spirit of God today, he will enable me to prepare you to die so that you can truly live. You heard what my pastor said today? <laughs> the church has been squeezed into the mold of the world. Romans 12, Paul urges us not to be squeezed into the mold of the world. And yet, solemn behavior and hearts concerning death has been pushed out in our culture for superficiality. Our funerals and memorial services has often, have often just become fun times of entertainment and slideshows and videography rather than what the Bible says should be actually a, a somber time to weep. And it doesn't mean that there's no time for good memories, anything like that. Those are so comforting. I've done many funerals. I've done many funerals this year where to remember 
is comforting. It just is. And yet, grieving has been replaced with viewing. And that's actually something that is not post-Reformation Protestantism. It's something that comes from Roman Catholicism. You know, in our viewing of bodies, these bodies have been made so pretty and they, you know, they've got the new perm and they've got the new dress on. And I mean, they look better in the coffin than this person ever did outside of the coffin. And we do these different things in our, in our grieving that, that actually we don't grieve at all. We try to act as if this person's not dead, as if they never were sinners and I never was a sinner and this actually hasn't happened and they're just kind of, you know, there's no effects of sin or of death here. When in reality, it's actually a very good biblical thing to remember that this tent has just been an earthly house. And it was because of sin that this death is even here. It's good to remember that. Now, we don't want to camp out on that because there's good news as well. And the good news is found in this knowledge and hope that if these jars of clay, as Paul says in a previous chapter, or these earthenware, this physical body is destroyed, we've got hope in what lies beyond We've got hope that lies beyond. Notice that Paul, as a tent maker, uses an image that's taken from his trade. He says this tent, and it's interesting that the actual Greek word is skinos. Skinos. If this skinos is destroyed, this shell, and you know what? It will be. If the Lord tarries, your tent, your shell, your skinos will perish. And it is good for us to remember that. And it's good to be in a house of mourning, in a house of a funeral, as Ecclesiastes says, to be in this house of grieving because it reminds us of how temporary our life is. And that we too will face that end. The psalmist says, Indeed, you've made all my days as handbreadths, and my age is nothing before you, Certainly every man at his best state is just a vapor. Here one moment, gone the next. In another place, you're a grass that's to be dried up and burned up and, and you just wither away. You fade away. The psalmist says the days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength they are 80 years. Maybe some of you are pushing 70. Maybe some of you are pushing 80. And the Bible says that, man, on a good day, someone lives to be 80. Grandpa, my grandpa's 94 right now. And I'm just like, Grandpa, you might really want to get right with the Lord right now. Because, whoo, buddy, you are beating the odds. <laughs> I've never really said it like that to him. And <laughs> I'm glad he doesn't have an internet connection to listen to my sermons. <laughs> might get a phone call. But that same psalm goes on to say, so teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I turned 34 last weekend, and some would say, David would say, you may have just crossed the halfway mark, Rory. (laughs) How's that make you guys feel, anybody? Some feel good, some are like, oh, yeesh, you know. So if I were to number my days and say, okay, let's say in a good day for whatever, I'll be 80 years old. Bust out my calculator, I have 16,790 days left. Those days go fast. Amen? (laughs) You might do that. Bust out your calculator and say, okay, best case scenario, and for some of you, you're into single digit numbers here. Best case, no offense, I'm not looking at anybody. Hey! Those are best case. It says that we would gain a heart of wisdom by busting out those calculations. C.S. Lewis said, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. Do you think that this is all that there is? Do you have just such an earthly 
temporal mindset that your life is just, you know, you got those 70 years and that is my existence. And you don't even know that, that there's actually an eternity there. And you're either going to be spending eternity in hell and in condemnation, separated from God for all eternity, or you're going to spend eternity in paradise in his presence, where you will just see him face to face and know him as you are known. And there will be no need for a sun or a moon because you will be in the presence of God and the Lamb of God, Jesus, is the light. Those days are coming. They are coming soon. So aim at heaven and God will bless your time here. Aim for here. You miss both. History tells us that the Christians who did the most were focused on heaven. Whether it was the transformation of the Roman Empire or the abolition of the slave trade, when you read church history of the last hundred, couple hundred years, you read of an incredible missionary here in the States named David Brainerd who hopped on a horse and went through New England and preached the gospel to the Native Americans. It's an incredible diary and journal. And homeboy died before he was 30. He died an incredibly painful, horrible death in the house of Jonathan Edwards. And when Jonathan Edwards put together David Brainerd's diary after his death. He wrote the foreword for this diary, and he wrote 70 resolutions for his own life based on watching his, this young, zealous evangelist perish. And I'm just going to give you a few of his resolutions today. The, the ninth, there were 70 of them, and the ninth one says... That he resolved to think much on all occasions of his own dying and of the common circumstances which attend death. And so Jonathan Edwards and learning from David Brainerd and two men whose lives were just incredibly spent for the kingdom said, I think much and as much as I can on that day when I will die. It's sobering. It's a reality check. And it causes you to remember how temporal this life is. The 17th said, I resolve that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. Kind of that sit down in a quiet place and get out a journal and pretend you're on your deathbed and say, I wish that I would have done this and I wish that I would not have done this. Because tomorrow I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. I resolved to live so at all times as I think it best in my devout frames and when I have the clearest notions of the things of the gospel and another world. The 19th, I resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if I expected it would not be above an hour before I should hear the last trump. So in other words, you know, that's kind of old, old English type stuff. But man, if Jesus were to come back in one hour, how would my life be spent? I resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can. With all the power, might, vigor, vehemence, yea, violence I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way that it can be thought of. In other words, he was on fire for the kingdom of heaven. Just as much as I can just be in the spirit and just be heavenly minded and heavenly focused. And, and we know, of course, that that's not apart from what he has here for there. But man, I am on fire for the kingdom of heaven. I've resolved to frequently hear people in old age say how they would live if they were to live their lives again. Resolve that I would live just so as I can think I shall wish I had done, supposing I lived to an old age. So getting together with some of the older folks and saying, what would you have done differently? Whether it's by sickness or health or accident or tragedy, we will return to the dust. It's good to number our days. I'd encourage you to go to those 70 resolutions and gain a heart of wisdom from a man spent and being spent for the kingdom of God.
And if that tent, that skenos, was destroyed, it's kind of a nice you know, way to talk about the decay and the dissolve of our body and of our flesh. Peter would call death the putting off of this tent. And it actually has the very same Greek word used to take down a tent, to strike down a tent. The encouraging thing is that we have a building from God. And right there in verse 1, would you note the contrast of the eternal mindset versus the earthly? Notice, an earthly house gives us a tent and it is destroyed. But we have a building from God, a house not made by a tent maker, but a house made by the hand of God. Eternal, not temporary, not corrupt, eternal in the heavens. It's with that hope that Job was able to to say, and we sing it, it's a wonderful song, I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that my flesh, in my flesh, I shall see God. Job had the hope of heaven. He had the hope of the resurrection. He had the hope that to be absent from the body was to be present with the Lord. Hodge would say concerning all of this, and I'm telling you, you you start digging into the word, and it's not always just as simple, easy peasy as you think it is upon a first read. Charles Hodge has been racking my brain and giving me migraines as I read some of the deep things of these texts. But he says the principal argument in favor of an interpretation that the house spoken of is one on which the soul enters immediately after death. So something that Charles Hodge opened my eyes to about this text is that he is, that Paul is talking about when we die and this tent is put off, we're in the presence of the Lord. And yet we don't have a body yet. We don't have a resurrected body that will come at the rapture of the church. And so there's this strange state that's intermediary and I could read pages and pages and pages on it. I'm just going to boil it down to a nice concentrated thing that we don't need to be afraid. We're not going to go into some purgatory. We're not going to go into some, some like pause button on our life to where nothing happens. No, something happens. We are in paradise. As Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. You won't have your resurrected body yet. That happens later, but you will have a house that's being prepared for you. It's way better than this tent. It's an incredible dwelling place in the presence of the Lord. That's incredibly exciting, especially since Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. It's believed that that's what Jesus is referring to. This building, this this room in the mansion where we will dwell uh, in that in-between state of dying and putting off our tent and the day of the Lord, the rapture of the church, the second coming, the great resurrections that will take place in the end. And so we know. Do you know that now? (laughs) It's deep stuff. But don't, not only do we know, verse 2 says, we groan. Some of you are groaning after that first point. That was, that was more, I don't know. You guys will get it. We groan. For in this we groan, verse 2, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Groaning. Titus, my little boy, my little bubba, started out, he was my boy boy, and now he's my bubba. Things get shortened like that. But he's just so fun right now. He's a little one-year-old, and, and he's been loving my groans. <laughs> I'll just do a little, and he goes, you know, and he just thinks it's hilarious. And that's good, because groaning is a spiritual exercise. Every one of us would be good to get in shape in it. Groaning, sighing, or, or even complaining strongly because we're longing For the day of the Lord, earnestly desiring the day of the Lord, earnestly desiring even that intermediate state where we're clothed with habitation, where we 
And it's interesting language. He's talking about tents and buildings and houses and heaven that are eternal. But then, but then it's also physical for us because it, it's something we clothe ourselves in. All right? We clothe, we put on this house. All right? We put on this dwelling place. And we can groan about that. And I'm sure the more that, that clock is ticking down and the sooner we're getting to eternity, the more we're, we're ready, you know, we're ready. My hips hurt, my knees hurt, my eyes hurt, my ears hurt. It all hurts. There's stuff going inside me that hurts. I don't even know where that is. You know, just come, Lord, come quickly or take me or just this is painful. I'm ready. And Romans 8 tells us, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. But then he goes on to say, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. So not only are you groaning ready for that day, that new, that new body, that new home, the clothing, whatever, but all creation can't wait. In fact, the language means that all creation is standing on its tiptoes and craning its neck saying, when are the children of God going to come back at his return and his kingdom will be set up and this incredible millennial reign will take place? When is that going to happen? All creation is longing and groaning for that. You drive through the forest and you see the, the pines that have a red tint to them and they've got the beetle or they've got the blight or they've got the whatever. You got the fish floating dead in the water because, you know, some dude with his motorboat was cruising through. I don't know. I like a motorboat. I'm not against motorboats. But all of creation is saying, when is homeboy going to not get a motorboat and get a rowboat? You know, so like things can go back to that pre-fall state. I'm looking forward to it. And so are we. We can't wait. All of creation is longing. That's, I believe that's why Mark's gospel, the Great Commission, says, go preach the gospel to every creature. And when we go to Nepal, we get high up in the mountains where, is there even a person up in here? And we come across a, a stream of Himalaya snow runoff, and you're like, oh, just let me get down and take a little sippy. No, you're not going to take a little sippy because somehow these Nepali people have taken all the trash that the world has ever seen and dumped it in these mountain streams. Where they even came from, I don't know. There's garbage in these streams. And Luke was telling us that Mountain Child goes far up into the Himalayas. It's like, is there only, you know, only the abominable snowman lives up there? And they take waddle, waddle samples. And there's an unbelievably high, unhealthy amount of human fecal content in it. It is undrinkable. Everyone who drinks it's getting dysentery and is dying away. And that's up in these beautiful mountains. You're blowing your alpine horn while you're up there, whatever. It's full of death. All of creation is longing for just the fall to just be done away with and the redemption of the purchased possession to take hold in its entirety. We're groaning for it. We hope for it because it hasn't happened yet. We eagerly hope for it with perseverance. And we groan because we know that we've been made in the image of God. And yet right now our bodies are still racked with the consequences of sin. And we can't wait for that day that we put off this tent, you know, that we bought on sale at Bymart back in the 80s or back in the 50s. And we've been camping with it every night since then, and it's ripped and torn, and it's got mold issues, and it's blah, blah, blah. Let's put that away and get a custom-built home made by God himself. We cannot wait for that. You live very long in a tent, and you know what it means to groan for a house. We have people that come to our church, and they say, can you take me home after church? Yeah, where do you live? I live out in a tent out by the reservoir, and you take them there, and they've got 12 different tarps that they're trying to get the rain to, to you know, give them some little space of dryness. You long for a, a bed, you long for a refrigerator, you long for power, you long for a toilet, you know, you long for those things, and that's transposed into this heavenly longing that we have. Heavenly longing that's made a possible by Jesus. 
So that when the Christian dies, death is not a period, but it's a comma in the story of our life. We come to his presence where the psalmist says, in your presence is fullness of joy. And verse 3 says, if indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. Now, on this side of earth, it's a biblical truth that we are clothed because of Jesus. Revelation chapter 3 has a letter written from Jesus where he says to the lukewarm church of Laodicea, because you say, I am rich, I've become wealthy, and I have need of nothing, but you don't know that you are really wretched, poor, blind, and naked? And you know what, I think that's probably been everywhere, everyone in history, but man, can you just not see it applied to America? Like, I don't need him, I don't need his provision I got myself, my heritage, I got this, you know, I'm good. Because you say that and you don't realize that you are actually wretched, poor, blind, miserable, and nude. That's why Jesus would say, I counsel you. Can you just hear me for a minute? I'm going to give you a little counsel, free guidance. Come buy from me gold that's been refined in the fire so that you can be rich. And come get white garments from me so that you can be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness would not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. And you know, people want to go to churches these days that don't ever call them wretches. We've lost that, haven't we? Amen. What was the Amazing Grace lyric? You saved a wretch like me. And I hope you know and I hope you'll be honest enough and real enough about the secret dark things of your life to realize you are a wretch. I'm a wretch. And it's the grace of God that he would counsel you that. As many as I love, I call them wretches. As many as I love that walk around so haughty and pompous, like, I don't need anything. And, you know, grandma's been speaking in my life about Jesus for so many years, and I don't want it. And, you know, that pastor every Sunday, I go there, and, ah, just gets under my skin. It's because you're a wretch. You need to be saved by the grace of God. And you need to come to him as Isaiah says, Ho, come to me, you who thirst. Come and buy wine without price. Buy without price. Come to Jesus and get gold. Buy the gold. Oh, what? You don't have any money? That's okay. He provides it. And it's been refined. It is pure. Hey, wretch, you are naked. You're naked. You're blind. Don't you hear that old hymn? I once was blind until I came to Jesus, or rather Jesus came to me and he put the salve, just as he did in the Gospels, spit in the dirt and get the mud going and get it on your eyes. Come, let me do that to you. He says it today in 2015, Prineville. Come, let me put... I salve on your eyes. I love you, so I'm telling you how it is. You're a wretch. But then I love how the letter closes. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. You know, as wonderful as this letter is speaking to being clothed, dressed as we sang, and I was going to call Johnny and say, can you sing on Christ the Solid Rock I Stand? I was like, I ah, know, it's too late. And he sang it today. That's the Holy Spirit. Because we sang, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Have you been dressed in his righteousness 
What are you going to try to wear before his throne on that day? When you give an account to God, something you made on your own, he despises homemade clothing, you guys. He says, forget that. You call it vintage, it's hideous. Put that off and put on the robes of righteousness that I provide. Have you done that? Have you put those robes of righteousness on? By the Spirit of God, you can today, you can right now. You can just keep listening to this preaching going on and you can just exit out for a minute. (laughs) and Just go be with the Lord and say, Lord, clothe me in your righteousness. Give me the salve, give me the gold. I'm thirsty, I'm hungry, and I only find it in you. I hope you're groaning for that right now. As verse 4 says, we who are in this tent groan. We groan being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed that mortality can be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the spirit as a guarantee. This is a wonderful passage of hope because this is one of those things that we all want to know what's going to happen to us when we die. My neighbor right now is dying and he's an atheist and he doesn't know what's going to happen to him. And just every time you think of me, think of me and my relationship with my neighbor, that I would be bold to share the gospel with him because death is, he's 83 and he has lung cancer and it's bad and he's going through chemo and radiation and And I know the Lord's moved him next to me within this last year so I can preach the gospel to him. So pray for me. But he doesn't know where he's going. But we do. We can. Because he has given us the Holy Spirit. He has sealed our package. He has sealed this deal with the Spirit of God. He is a guarantee. The Spirit of God, it means that it's a down payment on our eternal destiny. The the modern form of the Greek word that's used today for this guarantee means engagement ring. He has placed the Holy Spirit in us Christians as the engagement ring that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Are you engaged? Are you engaged to Jesus? Do you have the spirit upon you as a guarantee? Be honest. This is the reality zone. Kevin was real. I hope you're real today. I sure look good, but I've got no guarantee. Right now, exit out of the sermon. (laughs) Go before Jesus and say, Lord, give me the spirit inside me as a seal, as an engagement ring for this new hope of heaven. Moving through these next few verses quickly. The third thing, we are confident. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. In other words, we have courage at all times. It's been said it is knowledge that builds confidence. And since we have verse 1, that we know we have a building in heaven waiting for us, Since we know that, since we know the Holy Spirit has been set upon us Christians as a guarantee of that purchased possession, we can have confidence. We can can be bold and courageous. He's going to say it again in verse, uh, I think it's uh, 8, that we're confident. Not only are we confident, we walk with confidence. This is like modeling school or something. Like, walk with confidence, you know, I don't know. We walk by faith, not by sight. We behave by faith. As Hebrews 11 says, faith, what is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. One man said that that faith was like the towel that you put over the pickle jar to give you the grip to get it open. It's that substance. It provides weight and matter and mm, traction. 
I love the New Living Translation of Hebrews 11 where it says, Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. We are confident because we have faith, which Hebrews tells us is confidence. (laughs) And then verse 8 says, therefore we are confident. A lot of confidence going on in this room today. I can tell. You can be confident we're ending at verse 8, okay? (laughs) Study through verse 11. I'm reading the room right now. Did I hear an amen? That was not an amen moment. Ken, was that, was that an amen moment? No. Learn from, no. We are confident, verse 8, and I think it was Stephanie, you know who you are. Elder's wife. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We have faith. We're confident because we walk by faith. We know that we are home with the Lord and we're confident. And even more than courageous, we would rather be in the presence of the Lord than in this little Kmart tent. We're bold in that. We're confident in that. He's secured it for us. He's given us a guarantee on the building that he's building for us in heaven. Can't wait to go there. And you know what? Quite frankly, and Paul said it before, he'll say it again. Can't wait. Would rather be in the presence of the Lord. As he says in Philippians 1, 21. For to me, to live is Christ. While I'm here on this earth, it's all for Jesus. It's not for Paul. It's for Jesus. It's not for Rory. It's for Jesus. To live is Christ. But man, when I die, when that tent is tore down, it's gain. It's better. You know, going to funerals and even Christian funerals, that's sometimes not the vibe, is it? It's not better that they're there. They're in a better place, but honestly, they're not. This was it. This is not it. To die is gain. And 23 of Philippians 1 says, For I am hard pressed between the two. I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. But I also have a desire to stay here with you guys because there's a ministry going on. I love you. I want to help advance the kingdom through you. But I'm going to be real. That's my home. I can't wait to go home. Verse 9 was where I meant to end. Therefore, we make it our aim. You guys are just mean. This is E. We aim. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Our goal, whether we're there or here, at home or abroad, a stranger, an alien, a pilgrim, a sojourner, or the governor of the, of, the, of the province, we want to please the Lord. And we'll look at that more when we come back. Chapter 5 is like a treasure chest. We're going to be here for a little while on Sunday mornings. Why don't we go ahead and have the worship team come on up. And why don't we set our things aside. There's so much that spurs out of this. That's why the title was that there was implications from being absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And the implications, just a spoiler alert for you, is it found at the end of the chapter where we've been made ambassadors of Christ, pleading with people to have peace with God. Pleading with the world, pleading with the globe, pleading with the nations to be reconciled to their creator. And I would plead with you today, and maybe you would just set your things aside and and just by faith just enter into the presence of the Lord and just hear him 
calling you and, and communicating with you today. Just be still before the Lord right now. For those of you that are in Christ, man, you've got so much to be thankful for this week as we move towards a week of thanksgiving because you have confidence and hope as you know that even though your body is falling apart, you're not looking at this temporal stuff. You're looking at this building that God's prepared for you in the heavens, made without hands, a heavenly habitation. That you're going to be in soon. Could be from a tragedy, an accident, or even if you live the fullness of the days of a, of a life, it's still soon. You'll be there soon. And you can rejoice in that, Christian. You can praise the Lord in that. And there's a lot that comes from that. You'll stand before the Lord in a judgment for Christians. That strikes a chord in our hearts, and it should. Because of that, our chapter goes on to say, so we persuade men that they need to be reconciled because they're going to stand before the Lord. That today's message wouldn't just be a nice, warm, cozy feeling for you of, oh, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. That's great and wonderful, but the Spirit of God wants to call you, Christian, to something even more than just camping out and waiting for either Jesus to return or for you to die. He has a purpose and a plan and a mission for you while you're here that others might know him. But for those of you who are not Christians, there's no warm fuzzies for you today. This, it's not a good message of like encouragement. There is something to be terrorized by today. That you will stand before the throne of God and give an account for your life and you will be found guilty of rebellion against your creator. And you will be cast into the lake of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for all eternity. There's no comfort in that. There's no hope in that. That's the wrath of God and it is judgment. It is hell. You think you know hell? You don't know hell. We're told in the Bible that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And if you've done your calculations today, sooner than later, you're going to fall into the hands of the living God. Now the hope for you is to hear the pleadings of Christ saying come to me lay down your pride lay down your rights lay down your self-righteousness and your homemade clothing lay down your false riches and your haughty, arrogant pride, you think you need nothing. You have, I've got news for you today. You are wretched, poor, miserable, blind, and naked. And your hope today is to come to the counsel of Jesus, receive that gold for free, receive spiritual riches, to fill up your bankruptcy. Riches that were paid for by Jesus' perfect life. Receive today by faith, right where you're at, those white clothings of righteousness so that one day you could have the clothing made without hands in heaven. Today is the day of salvation for you. Realize that you are a wretch 
and come to that amazing grace. Taking you out of the position of a wretch and putting you into the position of a son or a daughter. Taking you out of the place of being blind and anointing your eyes with salve today so that you may see. Come to the waters and drink. Come to the bread and eat. Come be filled and satisfied in Jesus alone today. Repent of your sins. Turn to him. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, was the message Jesus preached. And wherever that message went, the Bible says that light dawned. Today, light has dawned in your midst. Go towards the light. I'm not going to have you raise your hand. I'm not going to have you stand. I'm not going to have you come forward. You know who you are. God, on behalf of Christ, is pleading with you through Rory, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. If only you knew your terms of peace today. You know them. Be reconciled to God. Come to Jesus. We're going to take this time during this song. And Christians, take this time to rejoice and thank and let God clothe you with his spirit today for the mission of an ambassador. Those of you that today, you are the the wretch being saved to be a son. You stand and sing with us today. Heart of joy, heart of reception, a heart of faith. Receive the new heart as you've been born again today. Let's praise God together.